You see, the human condition is prone to restlessness. And our digital age and consumeristic culture only exacerbates the problem. Makes it way more challenging. One of the most important practices of Jesus was finding rest and making time for Sabbath. Listen to me. The way of the world is restlessness. We've already talked about that. The way of the, and you feel it, and you know it to be true, don't you? The way of the world is restlessness. The way of Jesus, you know what it is? It's restfulness. It's restfulness. That's why you and I are invited into this completely other way because it's a prophetic sign to people in this world that there's another way to live. They're like, you don't have to live restless. You don't have to live like this. Like the way the world lives, I mean, what kind of hope and what kind of symbol do the people of God even provide in this world if we're gonna live our lives the way that everybody else does? And so there is a prophetic symbol, a prophetic sign that we, that we uh, you know, show to the world that you don't have to live like that. The way of the world is restlessness. The way of Jesus is restfulness. We must model the way of Jesus, the restfulness of Jesus, which is more than just a day, but it's a spirit that we live by all week long. Hey, so good to see you today. Great to be back together as always. Uh, we are in week three this morning of a teaching series uh, we've, we've been in now called Jesus. It's, uh, I know, creatively titled, uh, but it's just Jesus. The first uh, three or four months of the year, uh, we are going to be in this series, um, not, just, not just to focus on uh, who Jesus is, but we want to spend a lot of time focusing on how Jesus lived. Uh, we believe that 2,000 years ago in the Gospels that there was an entirely new way of life that was introduced it's called the way of Jesus, and, uh, and that it is, uh, it is a way that was modeled for you and I to live into as well. And so uh, in this series, we believe that there is, there is three ways to really live into uh, the way of Jesus. It's, it's number one, uh, to be with Jesus, number two, to become like Jesus, and number three, to then do what Jesus did. And so in this early part of the series, we've been focusing primarily on how to be with Jesus. And so week one in this series, Pastor Josh talked about prayer and fasting, like really important things when it comes to learning how to be with Jesus. And then last week, I, I really uh, talked about how, you know, if you want to learn how to be with Jesus, especially in 2021, uh, 2,000 years after the ascension, after Jesus physically left this earth and is now physically in heaven at the right hand of the Father, uh, the way we do this now in 2021 to be with Jesus is through the Holy Spirit, right? It's through abiding. It's through remaining connected to the vine. And today I want to continue to kind of push into this, this area. I want to continue to help give you some tools that will be useful, in my opinion, uh, in your attempt to, to, to figure out uh, ways to be with Jesus. And so for me, uh, I think one of the best things I could tell you, one of the primary ways for us to learn how to be with Jesus is uh, through slowing down. That's right, I just felt the collective anxiety sort of rise in the room, but one of the primary ways to learn how to be with Jesus is through slowing your life down. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about that all morning here today. I hope that it'll, uh, it'll minister to you and bless you in, in some great ways. Let me just uh, show you uh, uh, this quote. Um, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright, he says this. He says, it's only when we slow down our lives that we can catch up to God. It's only when we slow down our lives that we can catch up to God. I think what Wright is getting at here is he's saying, hey, look, if you want to be connected to Jesus, like if you want to be with Jesus, 
then you would be wise to travel at his speed, not yours. I mean, I know that, like, man, Jesus has all the time in the world. Like, he's not in a very big hurry. You know, he lives outside of time. He's not bound by the same time constraints that we are. And so I realize I'm talking about an issue today that, like, immediately there's some anxiety. Like, what are we talking about? We're talking about slowing our lives down. How do we do that? And, and I get it. But let me just tell you quickly what I'm, what I'm not saying, okay? I, I'm in no way advocating that we go back to dial-up internet speeds. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not advocating, right, that, that, uh, that we start taking, you know, uh, boats instead of planes to get to our destinations, horseback, embrace the Amish life, none of that, right? I'm saying, like, in order to really be with Jesus, though, we have to slow down our lives. But it's true that speed has done some pretty amazing things. Like, in our world, it's, it's, it's done some, some amazing things in terms of reshaping our world in, in some very beautiful and liberating ways. But we all know that speed has caused our connections with God and with other people to at times become highly superficial. It just has a way of doing that. It, it has a way of, 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 of making it where it's very difficult to, to go very deep, very, very difficult to have any kind of meaningful connection with, with people, and speed just, just tends you know, to do that. A philosopher, Dallas Willard, says this. He says, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. I love this. This is one of his most famous quotes. And I love this, this thought right here that, that hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Like it undercuts it. It, it, it keeps it from flourishing. And that you and I, like as, as followers in the way of Jesus, have a responsibility to ruthlessly eliminate this from our life. That it wouldn't be true of our, our, our spirit man, our spirit woman. It wouldn't be true of our spiritual life. I really feel like I came here today just really to tell you that as long as you and I are enslaved to a culture of speed, superficiality, and distraction, we'll never be the people that Jesus longs for us to be. I, see, I really believe that we desperately need a spirituality that is rooted in an entirely other way. And what I mean by that is that like, like what, if there was, what if there was another rhythm to life that, that, that could instead enable us to deeply connect with God? Like, what if there was another lifestyle that wasn't dominated by things like hurry and exhaustion, but instead was known for things like margin and joy? What if something like that existed? Why, well, I, I got really good news for you. There is a way of life like this, and it's called the way of Jesus. It's called the way of Jesus. You see, I believe that we're not just called to take on the name Jesus or to just call ourselves Christians, but we are, we are invited into an entirely other way, uh, the way of Jesus, which, which runs like, like counter to culture, runs on values that are different to the values that we see embraced in the world around us. It's, it's, it's a way of life that invites us into the abundant life like the Gospel of John talks about or the life that is life. And I've seen a lot of people try to pursue the way of Jesus. I, I myself have tried to pursue the way of Jesus in my life, and, and yet I have seen many people just, just face obstacles in, in their pursuit of this. And one of the primary obstacles that I have seen in my life and in the lives of others who have tried to pursue the way of Jesus is just simply desire. It just comes down to desire for a lot of people. It gets in the way. It's one of the primary obstacles to living this way. Let me ask you this. Have you ever noticed like, have you ever stopped yourself to really notice how what you desire most 
tends to dictate your life. You ever like, like honestly, like you ever just stopped to really notice this? How what you desire most tends to dictate your life. Think about it. Let's say you, you know, you really desire a certain life or lifestyle. You ever notice how that dictates your life? Or maybe you desire romance or you desire marriage or you desire a family. You ever notice how that tends to dictate your life? Or maybe you desire a certain house or a certain vacation or some golf clubs, right? That's not me, but maybe that's you. Or maybe, maybe you desire a certain body type or body size, whatever, whatever the case. You know, maybe you desire money or accomplishments or accolades, whatever it is. Have you ever noticed how what you desire most tends to dictate your life? So I wonder, what is it that you desire most? What is it that you actually desire the most? Here's the thing. Desire can be an incredible motivator. You ever notice that? Desire can be an incredible motivator motivator. Desire is what gets us out of bed in the morning and propels us out into the world. Desire is sort of the engine of our lives. Desire is what enables us to accomplish and achieve and acquire, right? Desire is not inherently good. It's also not inherently bad. It's kind of neutral, right? And it tips one way or the other just entirely based on how it's used. So desire can be incredibly good as long as it remains under our control, However, at the moment where desire is no longer our, under our control, uh, I mean, I know we're in, some, we're in some pretty serious trouble, right? You don't have to have a PhD in psychology to, to understand that desire is something that is never really fully satisfied in people. Because desire always exists. Desire is infinite. Desire, like, like never stops. It's, it's out there always. There's, there's endless possibilities when it comes to desire. The writer of Ecclesiastes talks about, about it like this. He says this. He says, uh, The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Isn't that really good? The eye is not satisfied with seeing. It's like, what else does the eye want to do? You know? It's just not satisfied. Because what, what the writer of Ecclesiastes is getting at here is saying, like, like, desire is infinite. Desire always exists. It never stops. Desire is something that is never really fully satisfied. It's like what the... Uh, what the poets Mick Jagger and Keith Richards once wrote, you know, in that line, I can't get no satisfaction. You got it, right? You know, in the 1200s, there was a, a man who, uh, he was an Italian Catholic priest uh, and a philosopher. And he uh, was, was one of the brilliant minds and thinkers that helped to shape really all of Western civilization. And his na name was Thomas Aquinas. And and Thomas, Thomas Aquinas, this brilliant mind, brilliant thinker, shaper of, of Western civilization, he once asked this question. He said, what would it take to satisfy human desire? Again, this is the 1200s. He asked the question, what would it take to satisfy human desire? So Aquinas starts asking this question, okay, like what would it take for, for, for us to be satisfied? What would it take for us to feel like we actually had enough? You know what his answer was? His answer was everything. It was everything. So in other words, what he's saying is like, in order for us to really be satisfied, like you and I, we, we, have, to, we have to experience everything and everybody and then also be experienced by everything and everybody in order to truly be satisfied in this life. This is why for many of us, rest, slowing down, 
is always something that feels so close and yet so far. Like, like if I can just get around this next corner, then I'll finally slow down. Like if I can just, if I can just do this, this last thing, this next thing, then I'll finally begin to slow my, my life down. If I can just advance my career just a little bit further, then I'll get some better rhythms in my life, and then I'll start to just finally slow it down a bit. You know, in 1901, there was a, an American surgeon by the name of John Harvey Gardner who coined the phrase New Yorkitis. And he, he, he uh, coined this term to describe an illness that had symptoms including edginess, fast-paced, quick movements, and impulsiveness. Describing people who were driven by their desires. At the time, he said it was a disease that affected a large percentage of those who lived in Manhattan. Four years later, a New York Tribune article on New York-itis reported that there were 3,000 cases of men falling dead or dying suddenly, an increase of 500 over any previous year that they had, you know, over four years, right, of, of this, this term being coined. You know what's so interesting to me? is that this was 1901. This is 1901, people. And John Harvey Gardner is describing a world that is long, long gone. A world without internet. He's describing a world that did not have cars or planes or other technical, technological advances that inform literally everything we do in life today. I mean, elect electricity, even though it was invented... It wasn't widely spread for another 25 years. And he's describing a world of edginess, fast-paced movements, impulsiveness, people dropping dead from overwork, working. And so I just, I just had this thought, you know, this question, if New York-itis is what Gerdner observed over 100 years ago, where does that leave us today? Because the world certainly hasn't slowed down one bit, has it? Our world is faster, and it's busier, and as a result, we are a people who are radically out of rhythm. A people with too much to do and not enough time to do it. The reality is that this illness is no longer a New York phenomenon, right? It has infected people all over the world. It's affected us, and we see this literally every day. We see this almost blind pursuit to achieve, to accomplish, and to pursue our desires. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus this in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. I, lo I love this one. This is like one of my all-time favorite verses. I, I just love the simplicity. I love the practicality of this verse. I love just how it exposes things in my heart. Like, be very careful how you live. Be very careful how you live your life. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. If you're taking notes today, look at this thought with me. It is the acquisition of our desires that has become the apex of living in the Western world. It is the acquisition of our desires that has become the apex of living in the Western world. Achieving our desires, acquiring our desires, pursuing our desires has become the pinnacle of life in the Western world. This, this, is, this is what people live for. This is what we believe will satisfy us, the achievement 
and the acquisition of the things we desire in our lives. And so the result of this pursuit of all of these things that we think will satisfy us but really don't is that we have become increasingly restless. Instead of becoming increasingly satisfied and increasingly fulfilled, humanity, especially in the West, has become increasingly restless as they have pursued and chased after the desires of their heart. Here's why. When you take something that is infinite, like desire, and then you overlay it on top of people who are finite, who are not infinite, it creates restlessness. The options are endless. It never stops. There's too much that you can chase. And you try to bottle that into finite people, and it creates radical restlessness within our spirit, within us. The restlessness we feel then only increases in a society built around accumulation and accomplishment. It's said that we see upwards of 4,000 advertisements per day, all of them designed to stoke our desire. All of them. Post-World War II, the advertisement industry completely changed from being needs-based to becoming desires-based. People began replacing things that, had, that still worked just to get the latest and the greatest. It's why, it's why we upgrade our iPhone every September. Right? Because it's not needs-based. It's desires-based advertisement. Social media takes this whole thing to another level as we live under a constant barrage of images and advertisements. You know that all advertisement is is just an attempt to monetize your restlessness? That's all it is? And so here, here's, here's, here's the point. Here's the question. If you're taking notes today, the question for every apprentice of Jesus is how do I live with this restlessness? Like how do I live with this? How do I exist with this? How do I live life this way? As an apprentice to Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, how do I put this in its proper perspective? Well, there are lots of people out there trying to give solutions to this question. Right? Buddhism would tell you to detach from your desires altogether. A hedonistic uh, secular culture would tell you to satisfy your desires. Just satisfy your desires. Just, just go after you know, whatever makes you happy. But the way of Jesus would tell you to put your desires in its proper place. Put your desires in its proper place. Dallas Willard says in Life Without Lack, he says desire is, an infinite, is infinite partly because we were made by God, made for God, made to need God, and made to run on God. We can be satisfied only by the one who is infinite, eternal, and able to supply all our needs. I love this next part. We are only at home in God. When we fall away from God, the desire for the infinite remains, but it is displaced upon things that will certainly lead to destruction. That's a powerful thought. Some of you need to take a picture of that right now. Like, it's a powerful thought. That when we fall away from God, or, or when, when God isn't the primary, and we start to pursue all these other things, there is still hardwired in you this massive desire for the infinite. The problem is we start to just apply it to things that, that cannot meet that need in us. And we displace it upon things that will certainly lead to destruction. You know the default setting of the human condition post-Garden of Eden? Do you know that it's not atheism? It's idolatry? The default human condition since the fall of man in, in, in the Garden of Eden? It's not atheism. It's idolatry. It's, it is to aim our desires not at God, but at whatever you desire. 
whatever your desire is. Career, marriage, family, children, the new toy, house, sex, romance, a stamp on your passport, a PhD, accolades in your career. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on and on. The default human condition post the fall is idolatry. It's aiming our desire not at God, but at whatever it is that we desire right now in this moment. And here's the thing that you got to understand. Nothing in this life apart from God can ever fully satisfy your desire. Desire is infinite, and only God has the solution for it. A.J. Swoboda, in his book, Subversive Sabbath, writes this. It's kind of a longer quote, so I want you to kind of hang with me here as I read it to you. He says this. He says, Our time-saving devices, technological conveniences, and cheap mobility have seemingly made life much easier and interconnected. As a result, we have more information at our fingertips than anyone in history. Yet with all this progress, we are ominously dissatisfied. In bowing at these sacred altars of hyperactivity, progress, and technological compulsivity, our souls increasingly pant for meaning and value and truth as they wither away, exhausted, frazzled, displeased, ever on edge. The result is a hollow culture that, in Paul's words, is ever learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. This is 2 Timothy 3.7 that he's referencing. He says, Our bodies wear ragged, our spirits thirst. We have an inability to sit still and be. As we drown ourselves in a 24-7 living, we seem to be able to do anything but quench our true thirst for the life of God. We have become perhaps the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked, spiritually malnourished people in history. Now that's a lot. I get it. That's heavy. And so that's a lot to take in, right? Pretty much all up until now has been somewhat heavy, but I've got some really good news. I've got some really good news. It is into this human condition of restlessness, exacerbated by our phones and social media, that Jesus of Nazareth steps in and comes and offers us rest. It's into this human condition, into this restlessness, this wandering for our soul that our, that our soul feels all the time. Ever hearing but never coming to the knowledge of the truth that Jesus steps in and offers rest. Not just for your body, right? You can get a prescription and a pill for that, but he offers you and I a much, much deeper kind of rest. It's in Matthew chapter 11 where we see this invitation from Jesus. In verse 28, Jesus says this. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you, what's the word? I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your, for your soul's for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I've, I've taught on this scripture many times, and there's a many, many ways I could go in here. I'm not going to explain necessarily what all of this means, but I just want you to understand that, uh, just for the sake of the direction I'm headed today, but I want you just to understand that when Jesus says, all of you who are weary and burdened, you know what he's really, what, another way you could translate that? It could be translated as, all of you who are exhausted and stressed out. Weary and burdened, exhausted and stressed out. Any of you ever feel that? Anybody ever felt that? Right? Nobody? Is this the wrong church for this message? It's all of us, right? It's all of us. It's me. It's like, man, I need a mirror up here. I just need to be preached to myself. 
I love uh, Eugene Peterson's uh, paraphrase of this in the message translation. He says this, it says this, uh, are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the, listen, the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Learn to be with me, to be with Jesus and watch how different your life looks than the dominant ways of culture and the paths of culture that people are just embracing by default. If you're taking notes today, you gotta catch this big thought today. Regardless of how you translate Jesus' invitation in Matthew 11, it's clear that his vision for how you and I are to live in God's kingdom is grounded in rest. This is part of his vision. For like, for the followers of Jesus, this is part of his vision that, that following him, pursuing Jesus, it would be grounded in a life of rest, a life that values it, that prioritizes it, Listen to me, the, the way of Jesus is grounded in rest. Rest for your soul, but also rest for, your, rest for your weariness. Rest for your mind. Rest for your body. You know, one of the primary practices from Jesus' life that he used to fight against the restlessness of our condition and the restlessness of culture is the ancient practice of Sabbath. Did you know that? This is Jesus' life, okay? So I said last week, but oftentimes we want the life of Jesus, but we don't want the lifestyle of Jesus. So I want, I want the life. I want, I, want, I want, man, that looks good, but man, I don't want to have a life that's like, that's like known for like prayer and fasting and abiding and, and you know, walking in the spirit versus walking in the flesh. I want to pursue my desires. I, I don't want to take 24 hours and like really rest and let my body recover. Oftentimes we are drawn to the life of Jesus, but we aren't, called to the, we aren't, we aren't drawn to the lifestyle of Jesus because that's just too extreme. That's just too much. But listen to me. It is very difficult for you to get the life without the lifestyle. Oh, you can get saved. I mean, you, can, you, can, you, can, you can get to heaven, but it's, it's, it's very difficult for you to, to, to get the life without the lifestyle. Immediately after the story in Matthew 11 where Jesus invites us into like a supernatural rest, a different kind of rest, that's at the very end of Matthew chapter 11. Well, well, chapter 12 opens up with two stories about the Sabbath. It goes, if, if you know, uh, maybe you don't know this, but the way the Bible, you know, originated, like, like the way we got, like, like the scriptures, it wasn't broken into verses and chapters, so it all just kind of ran together. And so, you know, scholars kind of broke it up so that it'd be more easier to read. Have you ever tried to read a book that wasn't formatted? Okay, like ever, ever? I have a book on my shelf. It's about the history of the Moravians from like the 1700s, and, and it's just like no formatting whatsoever, and I, I get lost, I'm like, I don't even know where I'm at. Well, that's kind of how the Bible was when, when, when they were dealing with it, and so they had to like break it into chapter, verse, sections. And so if you, if you have that in mind, you'll know that as chapter 11 comes to an end and chapter, chapter 12 opens, this is like continual, right? It's still going on, and so two stories about the Sabbath happen, one where the disciples go out and pick grain or food to eat on the Sabbath, which was a violation, and then one where Jesus heals a man with a shriveled hand on the Sabbath, which was another violation of, of the Sabbath. And so um, it, it flows. This rest that Jesus provides, it flows right into Sabbath rest. And so let me just talk to you a little bit about this today. And I know it's ancient. I know it feels like 
like I'm going, I'm, I'm rolling it back to dial-up speeds and, uh, and, you know, and horse and buggy, but, but like this is big, okay? This is big. To really evaluate the rhythms of your life and the rhythms of your soul. The word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat. You probably heard that word before, which means to cease or to stop. To cease or to stop working. It refers to doing nothing related to work for a 24-hour period each week. The Sabbath is an ancient practice that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, the seventh day of creation. You can look at it with me here on the screen. Uh, Genesis 2, 1 through 3, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast army, or vast array, I'm sorry. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Verse 3, then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating he had done. And this is the seventh day of creation. And I just, I just, you know, um, I, I mean, this isn't like real deep here, but I just figure like if God needed a day, you know, I don't know. I don't know, maybe you do too. It's kind of like what I tell people when they, when, they, when they like try to fight me on if they should really get baptized or not. Is it that big a deal? I'm like, well, if like Jesus got baptized, I don't know. Like maybe, maybe you're not better than him. So you know what I mean? It's just like, it's just like kind of logic. Like if God, needed, if God needed to be, you know, a day off, a day of rest, like maybe we should consider that that's like important. I'm going to develop that here as we go. Okay, so um, Exodus chapter 20, we get to the Ten Commandments, and the fourth commandment of the ten is this right here in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So the command here is to remember the Sabbath. You ever ever just notice that? You ever just seen that word remember? You know why it's there? You know why the command is to remember it? It's because you and I are prone to forget. We are prone to just forget. And so here God lays out a vision in these two verses, these two places, of a 24-hour period of time that is kept differently from the other days of the week, and it's remembered as holy. It's kept differently. It's a, day, it's a different rhythm. It's a different way of living in that day versus the way we live the other six days out of the week. And so Sabbath is obviously not something that is new. It's thousands of years old. Like I said, it's an ancient practice, but tragically for many of us, it's very new. It's very unkept. It's very unpracticed. And I'm not bringing any guilt and shame. Like we're not, you realize like we're not obligated to the Ten Commandments. Like, we're under a new covenant. Like, and I'm going to, you know, but, but like, this is still uh, very, very beneficial. It's like, you're not bound to the Ten, but you probably should keep the Ten, you know? Like, I don't know that anyone's ever, like, done well in life who's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to break all these and, you know, just whatever. You know, no, like, 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 it's interesting how many of the Ten we actually keep, but then, like, ones like this, we're like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, maybe not. If you're taking notes, look at this with me. It's rare to find a category of life in which hurry and exhaustion does not define us. Really rare. Really rare. Life can take us to the brink of burnout because the pace that most of us live at often is highly, highly destructive. The lack of margin is debilitating. We're worn out. There's not enough time. In all of this, the problem before us is not, listen to me, you got to catch this. The, in all of this, the problem before us is not just the frenetic pace that we live at, but it's, it's what gets pushed out of our lives as a result. It's not just that you're running at a fast pace. It's what, it's what is pushed to the fringes or to the peripheral of your life as a result of living at a frenetic pace. 
which quite honestly ends up just being our life with God. That's what gets pushed to the fringes and to the edges first. It's our life with God. You know, most of us would assume that deep fatigue and burnout typically comes because we're overcommitted and have given too much of ourselves, and as a result, now we have nothing left to give. I love what Paul, Parker Palmer says about this. He says, burnout merely reveals the, nothing, the nothingness from which I was trying to give in the first place. So it's not like you had all this to give and you're burned out because you spent it all. He's like, look, you're burnt out because you've been trying. There's like been a nothingness. There's been nothing there for a while. You've been trying to give from nothing, and you're burnt out. Byung Chul Han is a really a philosopher, a Korean philosopher. and He wrote a book called The Burnout Society. And uh, in this book, he talks about like, like uh, those in Eastern Asia and, and like the work ethic. The, 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 um, he talks about those who in, in like Japan and Korea and other places of Eastern Asia would uh, just drop dead from, from working too hard, uh, overworking themselves. And uh, in the Burnout Society, he, he says this. He says, they are too alive to die and too dead to live. Is that incredible? You relate to any of that? Too alive to die and too dead to live. So again, if you're taking notes, this is, this is maybe, maybe the biggest thought you could have today, and I don't know, I, I just would love if this, if this kept with you, but rest is essential to apprenticeship to Jesus. Rest is essential to apprenticeship to Jesus. I wonder, do you view rest? Do you view Sabbath? Do you view how many hours a night you sleep? Do you view margin as essential components in your, in your apprenticeship to Jesus? Do you? You see, the human condition is prone to restlessness. And our digital age and consumeristic culture only exacerbates the problem. It makes it way more challenging. One of the most important practices of Jesus was finding rest and making time for Sabbath. Listen to me. The way of the world is restlessness. We've already talked about that. The way of the, and you feel it, and you know it to be true, don't you? The way of the world is restlessness. The way of Jesus, you know what it is? It's restfulness. It's restfulness. And that's why you and I are invited into this completely other way, because it's a prophetic sign to people in this world that there's another way to live. They're like, you don't have to live restless. You don't have to live like this. Like, the way the world lives well, I mean, what kind of hope and what kind of symbol do, do the people of God even provide in this world if we're going to live our lives the way that everybody else does? And so there is a prophetic symbol, a prophetic sign that we, that we uh, you know, show to the world that you don't have to live like that. The way of the world is restlessness. The way of Jesus is restfulness. We must model the, the way of Jesus, the restfulness of Jesus, which is more than just a day but it's a spirit that we live by all week long, all week long. Mark chapter 2, 27, Jesus is speaking and he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. All right, so that right there just, just eliminates all the legalism that you might maybe want to feel and, and embrace, which we reject all of that here. There's no guilt and shame. So Jesus eliminates, he says, like the Sabbath is not like law. It's not something that you have to keep. But he, he's, he's saying here, what I want you to understand is that the Sabbath was created, you know, for you. You weren't created for the Sabbath. Like, God knows how we're wired. He knows how our bodies are meant to function, and he knows what we need. So I just got a few things I want to give you, maybe some helpful 
things to consider when it comes to maybe why you should, you should evaluate the rhythms of your life, why you should consider slowing down to be with Jesus, why you should consider Sabbath rest. See, we have an incredibly unhealthy relationship with time. We just do. You hear it in the way we talk. Let me just say a prayer quick. Let me just say a quick prayer, you know? Or hurry up, we're going to be late. We're going to be late. Hurry up. Time is money, right? We just have an unhealthy relationship with time. We do. There's never enough of it. We always need more of it. We're suffering from what American physician Larry Dossie called time sickness. And time sickness, if you're taking notes, is an obsessive belief that time is getting away, that there isn't enough of it, and that you must pedal faster and faster to keep up. And so here's what the Sabbath does, if, if you're taking notes. You want to know why, like, I think this would be useful to you? Why it's useful to me? While even though it's ancient and outdated and something that, like, we're not necessarily bound to, you know, by the law, here's the reason, one of the reasons. Because the Sabbath allows us to reorient our relationship to time. In the 24-hour period of Sabbath, this is where we step out of the way of the world and into the way of Jesus. Sabbath is a portal to participate in God's presence. In a world that operates at a frenetic pace, slowing down for intentional Sabbath brings us to a place of centeredness and stillness before God. It gives us the opportunity to be present to God. And so if you're taking notes, here's something to consider. In a 24-7 world, 24-6 living, is a sign, a wonder, and a prophetic declaration that there is another way to live. It just is. 24-6 living. It's a sign, a wonder, and a prophetic declaration to the world that there is another way to live, that you don't have to live like that. You don't have to run on fumes. You don't have to burn out. You don't have to do it like that. There is another way to live, and it's the way of Jesus. Examples. I mean, what are some practical examples? Let's just, let's just talk about, like, the world's greatest food and the food of heaven. Chick-fil-A, right? Come on. Right? I mean, come on. Like, as long as there's a Chick-fil-A up there, you know? There has to be. So, all right? I mean, they're, all, they're closed today. They're closed today. You know that there have been, there's been more than one occasion I'm coming in on a, on a Sunday morning, uh, at least once I know of with Josh, but other times where I've, I've, I've texted Josh, I'm like, hey, you may want me to pick you up like a breakfast burrito or something from Chick-fil-A? And he's like, man, they're closed. I'm like, stinking Chick-fil-A, man. Like, what are you doing? Or like Hobby Lobby, you know, uh, closing down on Sundays, you know? It is a prophetic sign, a prophetic declaration that there's another way to live. That, you don't, that in a 24-7 world, 24-6 living works. It really does. There's a confusion today as to the role of the Sabbath and the role it's supposed to play in the lives of Christians, uh, especially in, in, in 2021 as we're living new covenant lives. And I want to just speak to that for a second. Some say that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Someone, that's what a lot of people say who don't want to hear this message and would just shut it off if they were listening to the podcast or something. They would just be, yeah, I don't believe that. So they would, some people would say, well, it's the, Jesus is our Sabbath rest. So we don't, you know, we don't live by the law. Well, that's probably somewhat true. They would, they would say that uh, you know, observing part of the law makes us slave to all of it, so we're not going to observe any of it, which I think is foolishness, like we had talked about with the Ten Commandments. Um, Others argue that the Sabbath is a pre-law creational ordinance, so it, it, was, it was obviously at creation, so it existed before the Sinai covenant between God and Moses in the Old Testament and, and the people of Israel. Um, 
And that's true, and they would say that it's woven into the very fabric of creation, so it's something that we should embrace ourselves. Here's what I would just tell you, regardless of where you land. I think that in, in, in our culture of burnout and exhaustion, perhaps we shouldn't be filtering this through simply a moral or doctrinal lens. Perhaps we should be looking at this through a wisdom lens. Like, like is this just wise? Is there a chance that God knows something about you that you don't know about you? Is it just wise? Sabbath was made for man, not the other way around. It was made for man because you need it and I need it, and our bodies need rest and our souls need rest. So, Sabbath allows us to reorient our relationship with time. Let me give you a second one here. This is just a practical takeaway of how to think about it. Sabbath is not a reward for your hard work either. It's not a reward for your hard work. We live in a legalistic world that says if you want rest, then you better work. In other words, work first or work a bunch. Build up your PTO. Then you can take some rest, right? You haven't been working enough. You don't have enough accumulated, so you better keep working until you can finally have rest. Because this is how our culture works, we can often think like this too, that Sabbath is a reward for hard work. People who think along these lines believe that the only way to deserve Sabbath is by working and working and working until they don't have any energy left. But let me just show you like, like what the Sabbath looks like in the Bible, okay? God created the world in six days. Okay, we know that. We just read the scripture. On the seventh day, he did what? He rested. Did you know that on the sixth day, that's when he created Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve were created on the sixth day. So their first day was the seventh day, which was the day God created rest. Adam and Eve are created on the sixth day. God creates rest on the seventh. Their first day, full day on the planet, was a day of rest. It was Sabbath. Adam and Eve begin with a Sabbath, and then from their Sabbath, they work. You understand the difference? They're not working toward their rest or towards their Sabbath. They're working from it. They're working from this place of rest or from this place of Sabbath. Because here's the reason why. Here's the reason why, and, and this is big. Because with God, rest is never a reward. Rest is a gift. It's a gift. And it's a gift that he offers you. It's not a reward. It's not a reward for your hard work. Just maybe a way for you to consider it and to think about it. And then the last one I want to give you, just another interesting practical thought. Uh, as you consider maybe how to adjust some of the rhythms of your life is this, and you guys can come on up. Sabbath is a reminder that our work remains incomplete. Sabbath is meant to be a reminder to us weekly that our work remains incomplete. One of the hardest parts of Sabbath keeping is that some of your work will remain incomplete as you pause your life to rest. Like this is the hardest one for me, you know that? Like I have, I just have this, this deal where like I can't relax while things are hanging over my head. So if I've got deadlines, right, we're gonna go on vacation or something, it's like I gotta get all this stuff done before I can go rest and have a good time. Or it comes to the weekend, it's like sometimes, man, my Fridays, they run late than, than maybe, you know, maybe the average person because I'm like, I gotta get all this done so it doesn't hang over my head all weekend long. And that's how a lot of us view it. Well, Sabbath is meant to be this thing, this reminder to us that our work remains incomplete. Like it always is to remain incomplete. 
Most of us think like this, that when I finish everything, then I'll rest. Well, when does that happen? When do you finish everything? When does it end? Because there's always more and more work to be done. So I just, I just have a couple thoughts here. Let me just show this to you on the screen if you're taking notes again. Setting down our incomplete work to allow our souls to rest is an act of trust and surrender. We're trusting that God will help us accomplish in, accomplish in six days what we used to accomplish in seven. It's, a, it's an act of trust and surrender. It's faith. It's just surrendering our lives to God. And we're saying, look, like, like this isn't my life. This is yours anyway. I'm gonna follow your rhythm. I'm gonna follow your plan of how you designed me to function. And I want my life every week, I want there to be an, a, like an intentional act of trust and surrender. And so I'm gonna step out of the flow of work and all that stuff. And I'm gonna step into the flow of Jesus. And it's gonna be my intentional act of trust and surrender. That's really good teaching right there, by the way. Like, like it's really good. This is like really, this is like some of the best stuff. Like right now, like that you're getting, by the way. Like, I hope you understand that. It's not just like, oh, that was cute. No, this is like really, really good stuff. And I don't just say that because it's me. Like, I, I, you know, it's just really good content. God's doing something in this moment. Like, he really is. Like, you're being pastored well, truly. But you're also, like, the Spirit of God is here, and he's, he's speaking to you, and he's, there's some things that God wants to touch in your life, and that's what's, that's what's going on in this moment. Let me just tell you maybe the thing that has affected me the most as I consider Sabbath. Let me, okay? This is the thing that's affected me the most. There is something deeply prophetic about leaving our work incomplete for a day. Let me tell you why. There will come a day where we leave everything in this life incomplete and unfinished. There will come a day where we are invited into the rest that God has for us in heaven. Everything that we're doing, it will just stop. Those in the fields, they'll leave the plows behind. Those of you, whatever you're working, there will come a day where all of our work remains incomplete and unfinished. And we enter into this final rest that God has for us in heaven. So Sabbath is this prophetic symbol in our lives of that moment. That the only work that, that is ever gonna be finished is the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And you and I, we're invited weekly into this kind of rhythm, into, into, into embrace this kind of life to slow our lives down, to be with Jesus and to live lives that are a prophetic symbol to people out there who are weary and burdened and exhausted and help them see that there's an entirely other way to live and it's, it's the way of life. It's the way of abundant life. It's the life that is life. John Tyson says this, and I'm done. He says, I often wonder why the church lacks credibility in our world. Maybe it's not just our big scandals and cultural failures. Maybe it's something much smaller, more common, more deadly. Maybe it's our exhaustion. Maybe we are too tired to model agape love, too scheduled to show compassion, too distracted to pray, too much like the exhausted culture around us. Listen to me, if you want the life of Jesus, I encourage you to start to embrace the lifestyle of Jesus and watch as your life begins to look radically different from those around you. And it serves as a guidepost, as your life ser serves as a symbol, as a sign, as a, as, as a, as, as a way to uh, the life that brings hope 
to all of us. Would you just stand with me for a moment here? You just close your eyes with me for a second, bow your heads. If you're just here today and you would say, Pastor Jordan, like this is me, like my schedule, my pace, my life, it's not working, it's not right, it's not good. There are things I know that I just need to surrender. I need to start to, to, to surrender some of this stuff. My life needs to slow down. I want to learn how to build this rhythm into my life so that I can, I can truly be with Jesus. If this is you, and there are some actual, practical, real deal life things in your schedule and in your life that need to shift and change that are affecting your, your life with God, can I just, and you, and you want it to shift, and you want it to change, you wanna lay some things down today, could I just see your hands? I wanna agree with you in prayer. I wanna just, man, come on, there's hands everywhere, guys. I mean, this is just, like, can, I, can I get two hands up in the air for me today? Like, can I, right, this is us, this is us. And so fire of God, would you fall in this room? Father, would you just begin to burn away everything that needs to go right now? Every person under the sound of my voice, God, who would just say, there are some destructive rhythms to my life. There are some rhythms that are just in no way producing the abundant life that Jesus came and, 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 and to, die, to die for and to provide. Lord, I ask right now that your fire would fall in this house, that you would burn away everything that we're chasing that has no ability to satisfy, everything we're pursuing, all the desires that are less than God. And I ask right now for fresh fire, fresh hunger in this place to just erupt inside of us, God. Teach us how to say no to the good things so that we can embrace the best things. Teach us how to say no to the lesser things, the things that are less than God, so that you can be the primary. You can be the fire in our eyes, oh God. I pray that this would just erupt in this place right now. People willing to do radical things to their life. People in this room right now making radical changes to their schedule, radical changes to their pace so that they can have a life that is with God. We come before you, Jesus, and I say you do it now. Do it now, oh God. Do it now, oh God. We don't want to wait another week. We don't want to wait another day. We take our lives and we surrender them at your feet, oh God. Come and do in us what only you can do. Slow us down. Help build the contemplative rhythms back into our life, oh God. Help build the rhythm back into our life of pausing and being with you. The rhythms of silence and solitude, God. The times of just resting in your presence and knowing that you are God and we are not. That we are man. We turn our eyes to you, the author, the perfecter of our faith today. And say, God, Holy Spirit, come and fill us anew. I pray for every person that's running on empty, every person that is exhausted in the name of Jesus, every person right now who just has no more margin, and I pray for a supernatural infilling of the power and the presence of God, Lord, that your glory would be manifested in us today. We just ask this in Jesus' name, the name that is above every name, amen and amen.